Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. I am Dan Nathan. I'm joined by Rick Heitzman. He is the CEO and founder of First Mark Capital. Rick, welcome back to the pod. Hey, Dan. How are you today? All right. We had a we had a heck of a Memorial Day weekend. You had a yes. son, a very fine son of yours, graduate yes. from a very fine school that one of my daughters goes to. Congratulations on that. And moving on to a school that another one of your daughters That's goes right. to. That's right. So there you go. So, um, Boy, Saxon. Congrats. Gee, there's your shout out, buddy. And you're going to have to do something fabulous to get another shout out on the pod. <laughs> we got a lot to cover here. This is kind of meta here, okay? So we're doing this podcast, and it feels like every podcast that I listen to, whether it's politics, whether it's sports, whether it's markets, it seems like AI is just the thing, okay? And and, and to me, which is really funny because you and I are about the same age, we're both a, a half a century here, it seems like most of the sci-fi movies that dominated yes. our childhood were about like machines and oh, learning yeah. and how they were going to basically well, extinguish War Games, yeah, yeah, The Terminator, yeah, yeah, yeah. all this stuff that machines were going to take over and decide they don't need the humans. That's right. Yeah. So, so, But it's funny, and, and I'm not even going to get into much of the regulation stuff because it seems seems like there's a lot of folks who are early on yep. here who are really worried about this stuff. This is one thing I probably agree with on Elon. Elon seems really worried about a lot yes. of this stuff too. But again, it seems like every pod that I listened to this morning, the New York Times, the Daily, yes. they had you know the, the Google guy who left, and you know and it just seems like again and again and again. Kara Swisher, the politics guys on, on Crooked Media, they're talking about it. Even sports folks are talking about this thing, man. You know, we talked about it a little bit as far as the data as it relates. To, so it's everywhere. Well, people are searching for the new thing, right? We talked about this last time that you can't be in the doldrums forever. Everyone was saying, oh, this this isn't the new, new thing. You know, maybe tired talking about electric cars. What is the new, new thing? So the new, new thing is now AI. Yeah. And uh, we're seeing, even in our companies, they're taking it back from sports to Kara to what we're seeing on, on, the, on the field. We're seeing every single large company calling us up and saying, you know how does you know how does AI affect in in video game advertising? Everybody wants to be educated on this, and every single CEO of every single company wants to know how this affects them. Yeah, but is it is it kind of getting a, a little nerve wracking to you? You and I sit around, we talk about this stuff over your Oki Chardonnay and, and over my uh, Comos Tequila, uh, you know. But it, it just seems like so Johnny come lately because all the companies that we're we're going to talk about, like the large platform companies, have been investing hundreds of millions. If not billions of dollars in AI for for at least five or ten years, you know what I mean. And so, like to me, I feel like this is a moment. Like the metaverse was a moment right before the bottom fell out in late 2021, or the way we thought about crypto in 2017, or Web three in 20 and 21 and 22. It just seems like because it's going on right now in the biggest companies on the planet and it's being reflected in hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap terms, this time is different. This time is real. Well, I think some things are real. I mean, it's, you know, it is a little bit of the new, new bubble. Yeah. You said it, not me, bubble. Whether it's um, metaverse or whether it was AR, VR, 
all um, yeah. Before that, we there's there's always a bubble somewhere. As famous has been famously said, and I think there is a part of this. The reason that this is kind of pulling us out of a general you know bouncing around the bottom market malaise is that there's part of it that's very real, yeah. and there's part of AI that's doing no different than we've talked about before. You know, as we invest, we think about software that does jobs, and you can see a real tangible ROI because it's doing jobs. Now we're thinking about AI is kind of a very specific type of software that does either horizontal or vertical jobs. And there's some real AI doing very cool things. And whether that's writing term papers for kids or whether that's reading x-rays as a second set of eyes, there's there's AI doing real jobs. But there is an awful lot of speculation out there, both on evaluation side as well as on the hype. To side. me, I guess the way I think of this is that I agree with all that. I'm not a technologist. And so for me to kind of evaluate one versus the other and who's integrating it best, that's fine. My, my assumption is that these large companies and these CEOs like Sundar and Satya, I mean, these guys are all over this. This is part of their legacy in a way. And they know that. And they've actually thrown down that gauntlet years ago before it was really reflected right now in in the stock market bubble, and we're going to get to that in a second, when I think about what's transpired in just the last few months, it appears dangerous to me. And I'll tell you why. So this was a quote I saw in Barron's. My friend Doug Cass uh, at Seabreeze Partners was quoted this. So, so from the beginning of 2023, so this is the name actually of the article, Big Tech. Big Tech's become even bigger winners, shades of the dot-com boom. And so all of us who've been around, we can make these sorts of um, you know comparisons from the beginning of 2023 through Thursday. The S&P was up 8.1% versus the 1.2% decline in the equal weighted S&P, a difference of 9.3 percentage points. For all of 1999, the spread between the two measures was also 9.3 percentage points, which was only exceeded by 1998 of 16.3%. So the point here is that the S&P 500, an index of 500 stocks, okay, is up 8%, and it's up a little more versus the market cap weighted, which was down 1.2% for the first five and a half months of the year. And when you think about that dynamic, all of that is reflected in Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Tesla, Google, Amazon, uh, and I'm, I'm forgetting. Yeah, so, but, but the recurrent return of big cap, but ma- I guess, macro cap. I guess my point is, though, Rick, is like, okay, so why was, you know, Microsoft trading at 28 times versus an S&P that usually trades at like 18 or 19 times? Because you are basically giving them credit that they're doing all of these innovative yes. things within their platform. So that's, to me, where the hiccup is. And I think things are getting really dangerous because when I start hearing data like that and comparing it to a period where everybody was euphoric about the future potential yes. for these technologies, and disregarding valuation, that's where we are right now. Maybe just an AI and maybe just with certain companies. Obviously, we talked about a little bit offline that the correlation between the number of times the CEOs during earnings calls use the letters AI and and the stock performance was perfectly correlated. So this is clearly the buzzword of the times, and it's clearly creating some speculation. And in absence of any really natural way to play AI, people are just looking for companies that seem to have embedded. Google, who's been investing in DeepMind for a decade, Microsoft, obviously, with the open AI relationship, Scott Belsky and the things he's doing at Adobe, 
All those things are really important. But you know, how do you play it if you're an if you're an average investor? You're trying to figure out the big incumbents who are grabbing on to the shiny thing and putting some pixie dust on their company, and that's why you're seeing things like Nvidia rip today. Yeah, right. But so here's the thing. So there's a reason why on the year the Nasdaq 100 is up 31 percent, the Nasdaq Composites up 25 percent, and the S and P. Even market cap weighted is only up 10% because you're getting that's what you're buying, right? You're buying that innovation, you're buying that like potential. So it's all it's reflected in the stock market. And when you talk about pure plays, you know, we're talking those are all trillion dollar market cap companies. But today, this is Tuesday afternoon. You know, there's this C3 AI, which is Tom Siebel's company, he's the CEO of it's a five billion dollar market cap. It is up ten dollars, it is up 30% today. Because people, I think, are getting a little exhausted. You know, Microsoft's down a little bit on the day. Google's down a little bit on the day. NVIDIA is obviously still up. But NVIDIA was up 6.5%. It opened up 6.5% above this trillion-dollar mark, and now it's only up 2.7%. I just worry that once you got such a narrow rally, and now they start moving out to the crap, like AI, okay, C3 AI, sooner or later, if everyone heads for the door at the same time, and they will, Rick, I'm just telling you, very soon, we are going to have a downdraft in the NASDAQ that's going to put some fear into people. I I think that will happen. And I think people are using AI, even for their businesses. We're seeing, you know, if if you're an SDR and you want to get a meeting for enterprise software company, you're including, and we just have an AI powered version of our vertical software and you get a meeting immediately. So this euphoria and hype has, has captured everybody's attention from, you know, movie makers to buyers of software to retail investors. And, it's you know it always ends badly, but I, th- I think what you're seeing is in, in the early days, certain companies are using this to take a lead or further develop their market position or distribution advantage. Yeah, and I guess you know I'm just going to go back to it. You know, is it different this time? We've seen these bubbles. We've seen two. One was a metaverse, and one was Web three crypto. And this is just in the last few years. But I just want to kind of um, like review a little bit because this was great. You you put me onto this Lion Tree. That's the weekly newsletter that they put out, and it is it's actually one of the best reads out there. I you know I spend a lot of time on the information also, but this is a really great weekly, and it was a rundown of all the ways that Microsoft is integrating Chat GPT. Right, so. They made that $10 billion investment in open AI. That was after the billion-dollar investment they made a few years ago. And it, and it just the list goes on and on. They're, they're just putting it, you know, plugins in, uh, in Windows 11 and everything in Bing and Windows 365 Copilot. I mean, the list goes on Azure and, and, and all the services at Azure. And then you go down to Google, and we know that they had their I.O. a couple weeks ago, and the list goes on and on there and the ways that they're integrating BARD and everything like that. And then this last one is the one that I think is really interesting. You just mentioned Adobe, and Adobe is not one of the the trillion dollar companies, but you know they announced the integration of uh, these AI tools into Photoshop, and I mean the list goes on and on about all the exciting things that's going to happen. If you look at the chart um, since the day that they put out that press release in May 23rd, the stock has gone up 20 percent in a straight line. And when you think about that, okay, like this stock was going nowhere. The stock's up 25 percent on the year. This is now a 190 billion dollar market cap company. But like when a company that size can put out a press release and it can get wrapped up in this frenzy, that starts making me a little bit nervous. And I just want to say, because I, I got to get your comment on this, but this is Ben Evans and you guys know him from yeah. his uh, blog and he used to be at A16Z, very good thought leader here on the space. Every incumbent tries to make the new thing a feature of the old thing, which I love that quote. Yep. However, the other side of the platform shift is that while the incumbents make it a feature, new companies can create entirely new tools that are native to new possibilities. 
I, I think that's a creative destruction of all startups, right? And you've seen this over time when whether it's, you know, Microsoft using its distribution advantage originally on the operating system to build out the information worker, Google using their distribution advantage and their brand to build out their entire uh, productivity suite. So that's it's as long it's as long as things have been going. So what happens though is if you have that distribution advantage, you see things coming and then you try and copy leaders. And because you're a big you're a big company that manages by consensus, you generally come out with a B product. And so you have A plus distribution, a B B minus product, and you, therefore it kind of works for some people. We'll call that product Microsoft Teams. But what you have is a really A-plus product, which could win and, you know, be a best-in-class tip of the spear, which you could build out other things. You know, at one point, that was Zoom to Microsoft Teams. That was just a better product. I hate getting invited to Microsoft Teams. I, I still I, – I hate I hate getting invited to any video conference at most points now. But at least Zoom is the best product. And I think you're going to continue to see best-in-class products. It's you know kind of why we get up and go to work every day, that you see amazing products that people are passionate about that are building a best-in-class product that even if Microsoft gives something away in a bundle, you don't care because you want the best-in-class product in a, in a real pain point for you. And I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see both things happen in AI. I think you're going to see commodity products that aren't very good you know, get their ass kicked by large companies that are on the same trail with more people and better distribution. And I think you're going to see new companies emerge who have a best-in-class product that's uh, software that's doing real jobs. They're going to use that tip of the spear to build a great product people find and has, therefore, endemic distribution, which they use to build a great company. So two things there. You just mentioned Zoom. And one of the things that's really interesting, Zoom topped out in late 2020. We all know that. It's about 10% from its multi-year lows going back all the way to the start of 2020. It's down 90% of the year. It's a $20 billion market cap company. It trades at about four and a half times sales. And remember, at its highs, it was north of 50 yeah. times sales. Okay? So here's a company that's that still- That's when no one was ever going to go to the office. That's right. But here's a company that still has like best in breed. We just yeah. all agree. Okay, yes. it's the best what could AI do for Zoom? What could it do for its like users? What could it? And I'm not sure. And they will try something. They will integrate oh, a sure. chat bot into something. But like yeah. for instance, they've been trying to make what looks like a Slack competitor, right? Yeah. Like, like adding features well, or whatever. Yeah, the Slack competitor. They they played around with a LinkedIn competitor of well, here's your profile, so people could click on Dan and Zoom, and you could you know read about everything that you've done in your life. They were trying to use that to become. If they think video is where you're going to spend your life, although, you know, we kind of did for a couple of years, that, you know, can they build out the other full-service suite? You know, can you have Slack? Can you have LinkedIn? Can you have messaging of some sort? You know, it didn't really work. That as they, they couldn't pull that together in a time where people actually were dying to get off of Zoom. So here's here's a prediction here. I'll bet you this company has $5.5 billion in cash. They have no debt. And like I said, they have a $19.5 billion market cap. And the stock is 10% from its three-year lows. They are going to make an acquisition. Okay, something in generative AI or something like where they're going to like be able to tell a story. Maybe it's the large language models are going to do this, that, or whatever. And this stock is going to go from $66 to where it is to $100. i am not telling you that's going to happen. What I'm saying is in my stupid little yes. mind, the way I, I think of things. And like, because if you're, if you know that there's a frenzy going on, going back to yeah. earnings period that we were just on and the way people were just talking about the product, you know, what they've well, already Snow, been doing. Snowflake just bought an Correct. last week. Right? And, and, and Snowflake caught a bid. But then when they announced, 
balance of their earnings, you saw the stock went down yeah. 15%. So some investors still appear to be fairly discerning about some of this stuff in the well, public market. Well, I think that you know, in Zoom's case, they have to figure out, can they reinvent themselves as a broader company or should they be part of someone else's company, right? So if, you, if they go down this path and they say, we're going to have AI for video, that's going to be embedded in Zoom and that's going to be the most important thing, and that doesn't work, and all of a sudden they're back with you know, $14, 14 billion market cap does that look more interesting as part of Microsoft? Does that look more interesting as part of something else? Because uh, obviously that competitive advantage from being first in best-in-class product kind of sl slips away every day if you're not innovating. I, I mean, like, I just think, and I think you agree with this, in this regulatory environment, it's just going to be almost impossible for a large platform company, A, to buy them. But B, I think their their sites have shifted. They don't want, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're Microsoft or you're even Cisco, like that, that always seemed like a logical one. They yes. have WebEx and, and they have a presence. Yeah, and like, so, so, so there's a lot of stuff like that. But I think the focus has just shifted right now. And so when you think, like, well, as far as Well, if you're you're more concerned. You know, they tend to be more concerned concerned with the consumer side, obviously concerned on some of the distribution aspects with the biopharma, uh, Horizon Therapeutics blocking or, or investigation. But, you know, historically, the FTC has been a lot less concerned with Cisco, where the average American, you know, doesn't really understand what they do, and therefore is probably not as important in the media highlights. Yeah, so and let's just focus on like what I think the immediate beneficiary is, and it is NVIDIA. We just talked about the guidance that they yes. just gave, okay? So they just literally guided, you know, consensus was at $7 billion in revenue for this quarter. They guided to $11 billion. It's trading about 25 times sales. It's a trillion-dollar market Which is amazing. Company. That's real revenue that they blew out. They didn't issue a press release saying that we're the picks and yeah. shovels of, of the Correct. AI revolution, which What if it's a one-time thing, that? though? What, what, if, what if that excess $4 billion in in, in these chips the, that, that go into these supercomputers that are going to power all this stuff. What if it is a one-time thing? What if it's also embedded a bunch of double and triple ordering because a lot of these companies weren't able to get these sorts of chips? And so that's what I worry about. And like, think about this, okay? When... Facebook rebranded and they gave this vision of what computing or the internet yes. was going to be and social going forward in the way that all these different brands were going to be able to monetize within this new space yes. that didn't exist yet. You know what I mean? Yep. And they were defining it. Think about the excitement about that and think about how quickly it went south. Okay. And yes. so my point to everybody here in this, this newfound euphoria that exists around web three, how it was taking apart the, the old web and this and that, whatever also went south pretty quickly. And so I'm I'm not here just to kind of whine because I've been not just, I haven't been on the other side of what I believe the technological shift will be long-term. It's just the near-term bubble. I hate manias. We are in a mania right now. Trying to put your finger in pop a mania in public markets is a really hard thing to do. And I'm feeling a little pain from that. You <laughs> and, and a little bit of the that, timing. Yeah. Well, the timing's hard, but that's kind of what I like to do in the markets anyway. I'm not asking for your money, people, the manager, this and that, whatever. I'm not your hedge fund manager. I'm not your RAA or, or your stock broker or anything like that. I just like to think maybe, you know, like from my experience for 26 years and watching these manias, you know, really bubble up and then they all burst. Every single one of them bursts, okay? And they happen when you least expect it and they happen in names when you least expect it. So everybody who's anointed, you know, NVIDIA, the king of the yeah. new AI revolution, it's not likely to go that way. That is very true. That's very true. It's going their way today, but obviously anyone who sees that 
But wants gonna, to be involved. That, that, that profit pools for them. But you, you even talk about who was this 20 years ago? And we talked about, you know, Sun Solaris. You know, people were buying servers. I'm loading up on servers. I'm going to have websites. I need to own a lot of servers. And they took advantage of that. And then I was reading a quote from Scott McNeely, who was the CEO of Sun at the time from 2002, which was the other side of that mania. That stock in 2002 was down 90% from its all time yes. highs. Yeah. Because they were trading at. I think they were trading around 10 times revenue even after that. Yeah. And he had a famous quote that if you're trading at 10 times revenue, for me to pay you back, I have to take 100% of my revenue for the next 10 years, and we're not going to discount it, and just give that back to you to get you whole. And that doesn't include the time value of money. That doesn't include, at the time, the chips and hardware it took to make the servers. It didn't include the 39,000 people that work for him selling, developing, all that stuff you know, it doesn't include the government who occasionally wants you to pay taxes. It doesn't include everything else that goes into that. So if you think about what a company needs to be to trade in excess of 10 times revenue, you have to have incredible long-term growth and incredible long-term margins to make it work, which on the hardware side is really, really hard, because partially because of capital intensity. You know what else is a hardware company that traded over a trillion dollars? So it was the last company to trade over a trillion dollars on the NASDAQ or the S&P prior to NVIDIA just today, and that was Tesla. And that was at the end of 2021, and Tesla traded as high as $415. It traded as low as $102 or something like that in January. You can do the math of how much that stock was down. And back then, ironically, I think the only person who thought that Tesla had the potential to really sell off dramatically was Elon Musk, because he started selling a shit ton of stock back then, if you recall, yes. okay? And he said it was the guys of paying taxes, should I sell? stock to pay taxes. And then he sold all during 2022. And then yes. he is now in possession of one of the worst trades, I think, in the history of the markets, taking Twitter public or private at $44 billion. I think Fidelity just marked it down at like $15 billion or something like that. Yeah. Literally today, that just, I well, saw I that think on Bloomberg. But even by the time he bought it, multiples had aggressively shifted. Well, and, and I just want to make that point about Tesla. I want to make the point about NVIDIA. And if you're buying NVIDIA at $400 here, and just so you know, yeah. on the opening today, it was trading at $420. And right before they reported earnings, for 420 that was for you, big guy. Um, you know, so I just, like, like, listen, it's really important to kind of have some sense of history yeah. here because right now the frenzy, it couldn't be, it's white hot here, but it has the potential to change very quickly. I want to ask you about this headline. I thought this was really interesting. This was out of the information. They were talking about OpenAI closed a $175 million startup fund. Now, what I thought was really interesting, they said they went on to say that you know they um, led a $50 million Series C round for an auto editing app to script and a $23 million round for a note-taking app, MEM, uh, that's M-E-M. And so interestingly, so OpenAI was minted at like a $30 billion um, value based on that Microsoft $10 billion investment. So they have a $175 million fund. They could have a half a billion. They could have a billion dollar yeah. fund. And they can invest in any of these companies, okay? Mm -hmm. um, at any valuation, doesn't really matter because they're also encouraging them to use yeah, their technology exactly. and everything like that. What does that mean to you and your partners or your peers in traditional VC firms when you're in the middle of a frenzy? The capital, even though with interest rates where they are, it's kind of free to open AI because exactly. they're devoid of those kind of laws that exist about interest rates and valuations. And they are just literally getting in any of these things that they think are particularly useful to their ecosystem. And, and they have a strategic 
use case in the ecosystem. So they're not financial investors or strategic investors. And we run into this all the time. We've run into it in a bunch of different areas, whether the area was hot or whether it was strategic, that we have entrepreneurs come to us and say, this big strategic company wants to invest at this price and you know you should invest with them. We said, well, time out. Most corporate VCs don't make money. So I think over time is that that's the knock on them. So any of these companies who set up these VC arms, it's more strategic than it is. Yeah. From so they, they generally are not. They're investing partially to make money and partially for strategic value. And depending on who you are, you weight those things differently, and that comes out differently. But you know, our job and our fiduciary duty is to make money, and not we don't have any strategic value. Although we hope we can add some strategic value on a board level. So you know that. But that's it, your competitive it, advantage it, it, to win it, deals, it, right? It, yeah, like but yeah, it, yeah. the reality of these guys, especially well-funded uh, corporate VCs, is, is strategic. And OpenAI is to build out the OpenAI ecosystem where they're a key part. They're the center of that ecosystem. So the valuations that they pay for some of these rounds are probably not going to be the same valuations that we would pay as but a But it crowds you investor. out. So, like, do you guys miss some things to actually add the value that you add? Do you yeah, know what we, I mean? we, like, we miss pr- things all the time. They, yeah. they kind of go beyond us, or you've seen corporate VCs going earlier and getting involved in the seed or Series A, and we've been co-investing with them when we think that they they might be able to add some value and we might be able to add some value. And therefore, especially if they have a distribution head start, things like City, City Ventures and Unlimited, which we just did. So, so those things sometimes work. But in large part, you know, we, we're not participating in something that AI led. And we hope to get hope to be in earlier and hope to have seen something a bit earlier and have a unique perspective before it becomes kind of a corporate uh, Series B, Series C, Series D corporate type deal. Yeah, so earlier in the pod, I'm just going to reuse it because it's such a great line. I love The Wire, and I remember the scene where Cuddy said uh, the game done changed. He, he just got out of jail, and he mm-hmm. was like trying to reacclimate himself to you know the, the job yeah. that he had to do as, as a kind of muscle guy or whatever. Yes. And and uh and one of the guys said to him, no, the game's the same. It just got a lot more fierce. And, and you know, that that's what it feels like right now when you think about, in market cap terms, what has been expressed yes. already, the pull forward of all this enthusiasm about a technology that all of these companies have been working on for a very long time oh, yeah. to make them more competitive, to make it so they don't go by the wayside because of some new innovator and that they, comes in. they also in. have a lot of cash, right? So, right. They, so they just went through a, a big dieting portion, yeah, so yeah. they're a producing that's cash. All all the job cuts and, and yeah, everything. Yeah, all the job cuts, correct. all yeah. the focusing, yeah. prioritization, uh, shedding of metaverse assets, whatever it was. So they now they're producing cash. They've had a lot of cash because you know even Apple, which had a lot of cash from producing cash, was still doing very low interest rates debt. So all these guys have plenty of cash, and you know they have to figure out a way to deploy it. And I think you're, you're seeing it in a bunch of different ways. But you're also seeing I, I think you're also seeing investors who were looking for something to be excited about. And I would say whether it's on the corporate side who are looking for companies or products they were excited to buy, or whether it's on the investor side who are looking for something to be passionate about after a really tough twelve to eighteen months of just 
companies missing, expectations not being met, layoffs, yeah. et cetera. You know what, though? I'm just going to say this. I'm going to push back for a second. There's going to be some historic mistakes made by some of these big companies deploying cash in this manner right now, because right now they could earn 5% on their money. Think about that. For years, okay, for years, what they did was they borrowed at low rates and they bought back their stock. Now that's working out right now because these companies have all taken off. So I get that. But at some point, if they're destroying you know, the way Elon just destroyed tens of billions of dollars, making a really stupid acquisition as rates were going higher and the business in which, you know, he was buying was about to like literally take a turn. It was at an inflection point. To me, I just think that again, 5% is 5%. But as a team, as a management team, you should be able to drive an internal rate of return over 5%. And if you can't, if you don't think you could deploy that capital well in, you know, either capital projects and human capital or in acquisitions, you know, you're probably doing something wrong. No doubt, but they weren't making acquisitions a year or two ago. You know no, what I mean? No, they were. Like, I mean, so, so, saying, yeah, yeah, there yeah. was a lack of creativity yeah, then, correct. and there was probably not enough great projects as in t- that meets the amount of capital they had. But I think things have gotten cheaper, cost of capital has increased. Yeah. So you know, you'd hope that companies at least had some ability internally to generate that. Yeah, that and, I, and I guess I would just say if, if 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 all of a sudden you're getting creative because a very narrow uh, like stock bubble is is yep. happening in the Nasdaq, then I think you're doing it wrong. I want to hit you on this. It's really interesting to me. Um, this was from Barron's also. This was a May 10th interview uh, with. Um, this is Apollo's chief economist, Torsten yep. Slock, well-followed yep. fellow here. And it was saying that in the days after Silicon Valley Bank found he turned bearish on the, his economic outlook, flipping from a no-landing scenario. So he was one of the no-landing yes. guys, okay, um, to an expectation of a longer and deeper downturn um, than market anticipates. And so this guy's got a tremendous pedigree, former um, you know IMF guy and, and, and all this sort of stuff. So here was the question that really stuck out to me. I wanted to get your take on it. Have private markets felt a strain yet from the rapid increase in rates and a slowing in the economy? Any interest rates? He says, as interest rates rose, technology and growth companies suffered because long duration cash flows are highly sensitive to the Fed funds rate. We know that. In private markets, though, it's exactly the same. Many tech companies and companies with levered bets on low interest rates are now suffering. The total value of venture capital is down 60% since the Fed started raising interest rates. The crunch in tech in the NASDAQ venture capital and growth stocks will continue because the cost of capital is likely to Stay high. Now that struck me because that's not going on. Like that's the exact opposite of actually what's gone on in the last month. And maybe that's in, just in the, in last, the last month. month. But yeah. what you saw was, you know, last year was a year of retrenchment. You know, losses were taken. People were market to market based on the new market multiples as the air came out of the market. And it's just much it's much different now. But I think in this new environment, so the problem was people were buying at high prices at, at 2020 and 2021 prices, then marketing to market in 22, and that was you know going from a high point to a low point. If we're back in a new environment where although rates stay high, they stay similar, you're buying and selling in the same environment. So you hope you're able to invest in great companies who are doing things that are not relying on the cycle because they're so innovative in, in that same market, and it's a great time to invest in tech. Yeah, so it's interesting, just on the macro really quickly, we started the conversation with the spread between the market cap weight um, and the equal weight. And I just look at my fact set screen and I look at today, you know, it just screams in red, okay, of growth scares, just not only here in the US, but also abroad. There's been a lot of data about China, a lot of worries about China. And, you know, crude oil was down 4%. It's trading at multi-month lows, basically, you know, resource stocks, uh, energy stocks all trade very horribly. Bank stocks don't trade particularly well. The Russell 
Russell 2000, small caps are flat on the year. Okay, they're flat on the year, down on the day, on a day where, you know, this was like kind of AI euphoria. And I could just continue to go on and on. It doesn't feel like the way the regional banks trade, that they were out of the woods yet from what happened in March. So there's a lot of like warning bells that seem to be screaming in silence. The consumer confidence data has been really weak. Retailers trade absolutely horrible. Consumer staples trade really poorly. They've dropped 10% in a straight line over the last month. So there's a lot of rotation. There's a lot of people coming and out of the different enterprise, areas. I mean, consumers, obviously, two-thirds of the sentiment, but the enterprise side, we're seeing softness. And yeah. people people are demanding a higher ROI. Going back to our, one of our big thematics on 22 and now 23 of the you know, revenge of the CFO, they're demanding more from their vendors so we're seeing extended sales cycle and therefore weaknesses. So we're seeing a lot of things that point to bearish territory or, or focus more on a recession as all these things have chewed away both consumer and enterprise confidence. What we just went through over the last kind of month and a half or so, to your point about some of the things that you guys have seen through the lens of your companies, your portfolio companies. I mean, you know, we went through an earnings period in the public markets where estimates came down throughout the, the first quarter. And when they finally reported them, they weren't as bad as expected, right? So they beat lowered expectations and the stock market felt a, a little sigh of the relief with the debt ceiling thing, hopefully out of the way. That's also something else that we can kind of not worry about as a massive headwind in a, in a slowing economic environment, if that's what we have. So listen, the macro is going to continue to be a thing here. I just kind of stay focused on the fact that most of the stocks in the stock market are not participating in the rally this year. And it really is focused on a handful of of mega cap names that seem to be taking, you know, 90% of the excitement around this. And I'm doing this yeah. in air quotes, newfound technology, yeah, which is not newfound. We're seeing the same thing in the private yeah. markets. I mean, it's a, it's, if you are a true AI company, you're participating in one very hot market. Yeah. And if you're everybody else, you're participating in a market that's still pretty much stuck in the mud. All right. Well, listen, sorry for that ray of sunshine here, people. I, I just had to give it to you the, the way I kind of see it. We, that's what we do. We call uh, balls and strikes uh, around here. So Rick Heitzman, First Mark Capital, thanks so much for being here, Rick. I Thank hope you, you'll Dan. be back soon. All right, man. Thanks. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.